to be a part of this church, and I'm honored to share my story today. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, is this thing working? Is it a little echoey? We'll get there. So just a little bit about me. I've been at Blue Water for five years. Um, I was actively involved in our worship ministry. This was until they found people that sing better. Then they kicked me out. <laughs> nah, I'm just joking. I'm on probation. And they said if I take lessons, I have a slim chance to get back on. So that's why you haven't seen me up here. Uh, I helped co-lead an Ohana group with the Lagastis and their five children. Right in the back. We meet in Manoa every week, and our youngest attender is four, and our oldest is 95, Nana. And I grew up in Honolulu. I went away to college in California, and I came back here, and now I sell health insurance to seniors, which is why we have Nana and Ellen. I'm still trying to <laughs> sign them at our Ohana group. Things I love. I love ribeye steaks. I'm addicted to rice, white rice. And I've gained 20 pounds in the last two years. No joke. I love surfing, but since I gained the 20 pounds, it's been tough. But I'm grateful to be sharing the message today. But why don't we open up in prayer? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, we ask you would bring a new faith bring your healing presence in our midst today. Help us open up to your love and your plans for our lives. Encourage us through your word and inspire us today through your grace. Give us the second chance that you desire to give us and help us all to just uh, find new hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Well, we've been in a series talking about uh, the immediate aftermath of Easter. So after Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, he hung around for 40 days. And this was an interesting time. Uh, he would reveal himself at different times and places, various places to his apostles and to different disciples. Last week, Jordan spoke about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And today we're going to be looking at the only example of body surfing in the New Testament. But more specifically at the subject of restoration, but there's more to come on that in a bit. Um, let's see if this thing works here. Restoration is defined by Webster as a bringing back to a former position or condition. In other words, it's a reinstatement of something or someone's former glory to make something whole once again, to make something old like new. So the topic of restoration can be found throughout the whole of Scripture. Starting from the fall in the book of Genesis, God set in motion a plan to restore humanity's relationship with its Creator, which culminated in Jesus on the cross. Today we're going to be looking at how God restored one of the church's first and most influential leaders, Peter, who had denied Jesus, the same Jesus he vowed to protect, <clears throat> which led to Jesus' crucifixion the very next day. So we'll be taking a closer look at Peter's first face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus since Jesus saw him turn away and run. Talk about a hard conversation to say the least. Sometimes I find it hard asking someone, hey, can you pass the rice again? 
the white rice. <laughs> but before we get into that, it's our custom to open up with a warm-up question. So here we go. Here's the question. What is the greatest comeback you've ever witnessed? Now, it could be a real-life example from sports like when Rocky beat Drago. It could be a business example where you saw someone who was in bankruptcy and then they made it. It could even be a marriage. Someone's marriage was in shambles and they repaired it and now it's thriving. It could even be a fake example like a movie or it could be a health issue. Someone had cancer, they beat it. Someone had a stroke and now they're fine. So why don't we take a few minutes, turn to your neighbor, share your thoughts and then we'll re regather after that, okay? Go for it. Great, maybe we can gather up again here as you guys begin to close. I just want to say, you know, um, I love sports a lot. I love sports because sports show um, basically life's, life in like a microcosm. There's so much drama in sports and there's nothing more dramatic than a good sports comeback. Um, there's been so many great comebacks in sports history, but here are a few. I just wanted to go over a couple. We know who that is right there. That's LeBron James. Anyone think that LeBron James had the greatest comeback ever? One, two, three. I knew there's always LeBron lovers. Uh, well, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavs came back from a 3-1 deficit in 2016 in the NBA championships to beat the Golden State Warriors. This is LeBron right there. That's him crying, Matt. I just like to show everyone him crying. That's him with the trophy. Another example, Michael Jordan. Anyone here for Michael Jordan with the greatest comeback ever? Yeah, that's everyone who's not a millennial. Well, Michael Jordan retired at his peak after winning three straight championships. Then he went and played baseball for two years. And when he came back, everyone told him, you're too old, there's no way you can face these young bucks. But what did he do? He three-peated again, right after six total championships. That's the last shot he ever took with the Bulls against the Jazz. Michael Jordan, let's hear it from Michael Jordan. Come on, guys. This is for all you surfers and for all you ladies. <laughs> Kelly Slater, after winning six world surfing championships in seven years, retired in his physical prime for four years. Then he launched a comeback against Andy Irons and the new school talent and now he was at an age where people were like, he's way too old to compete. No way. He, that was his time before. But what did he do? He goes on to win not one, not two, not three. Look at that. Not four, but five more world titles. Let's hear it for Kelly Slater. Uh-oh. This thing is, uh, we got a little bit of leg oh my gosh but the greatest comeback in sports history has to be Tiger Woods 
The greatest comeback in sports history has to be Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, here's a little story. Here's the story of Tiger Woods' comeback. After winning a total of 14 major championships, his first coming in 1997 at the Masters, his moral life collapses, and he's caught in a scandal that would ruin his public image, his family, his reputation, and his sponsors, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he all but disappears from the sport of golf. Tiger descends into depression and obscurity, experiencing loss after loss. During these 11 years that he was on the periphery of the sport, he had three back surgeries. One of them was a spinal fusion. I'm getting really excited about this, guys. (laughs) Three knee surgeries, leaving him further from the pack. But against all odds, with each and every sports commentator in the business saying he was washed up and he would never win another championship, Tiger begins his comeback. He revamped his swing, he rehabbed his body, and he began seeing success on smaller stages and lesser venues. His confidence began to grow, but no one would ever believe that he would win another major tournament. Yet three weeks ago, look at that, At age 43, Tiger Woods did the impossible on the sport's biggest stage, Augusta National. Tiger captured his 15th major championship tour victory and retook his place as a sports pinnacle champion, winning his fifth Masters, the most prestigious title in golf. Let's hear it for Tiger Woods. Look at that, that's his green jacket. Talk about a comeback. The title of this message is The Comeback. Today's sermon is going to be super simple and straightforward. We're going to look at the comeback of Peter. Peter, a man who would go on to preach the first evangelistic sermon in the New Testament. A man who was known as the leader of the apostles. And eventually who would write two letters in the New Testament and dictate the first written account of the story of Jesus, which became known as the Gospel of Mark. But like many of those who God likes to use in big ways, he started out from a deficit. He started out needing to be restored. Peter needed a comeback. So today we're going to look at three things Jesus does to restore Peter. Maybe you felt like Peter. I know I have. Maybe you're thinking you messed up your chances for the future God has for you. Maybe you think you're too old or you're too young or you've done something that's unforgivable and you have a check mark on your perfect record. Well, the truth is, all of us are like Peter at one point in time. We've all messed up. We all have big mouths. We all break our promises. We've all thought that we're not good enough. And we all have denied Jesus. But God is still pursuing us and restoring us today, just like he did with Peter. But how does he do that? Today we're going to read a scripture that kind of explains that. So our text for today is going to be John 21. Uh, It's the last story in the Gospel of John. To set the scene, Peter had just denied Jesus, and they still have yet to meet one-on-one to talk about it. So we're going to read it here. Uh, you can look on your bulletin or you can read it on the, on the screen here. It says this, 
Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John, and James, and two other disciples were there together. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. That's interesting. I didn't notice that before this week. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon, Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. That's interesting too. When he said, go do this, Simon was the first one out. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That's also interesting. He had a different look. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's so rich. Moving on. Oh, this is an Acts. Well, let me move on to... Uh, I'm going to read it from here and you can read along in your bulletin. It says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. We're going to get there, guys. Okay. And just to recap what we just read, here's the situation. Peter and the, and the disciples were in a state of limbo. So they go back to what they know how to do, which is fish. As they're doing this, a mysterious man tells them how to fish. G John and Peter recognize it's Jesus, and Peter thought Jesus was angry with him, so he covers up. When he gets to the beach, he finds a different story. That's the setting. This morning, we're going to look at the process Jesus uses to restore Peter back to the leader that he called him to be. And he does it in three ways. First, Jesus restores Peter's dignity. And I know that sounds a little interesting. How does God restore somebody? 
Why would he start with their dignity? Well, I think it's so important to restore someone's dignity because when you've fallen down, there's a sense of shame that's on you, right? When Peter ran away, he was ashamed of what he did. That's why he put on that cloak. Think about it. If you're going to jump in the water and swim 100 yards, I need like a Speedo and fins. I cannot make it. I will not make it. Peter is stronger than me. He puts on his cloak and jumps in the water and swims. So there must be some sort of shame on him, right? Which is why restoring someone's dignity is often the first place to start. Here's a good example of someone that works on restoring people's dignity. There's a man in the UK and his name is Ged King. He's a barber and he gives haircuts to the homeless on his days off. And he doesn't just give the generic supercuts haircut. Sorry if you guys go there. I'm not, I'm not dissing it, but you get what you pay for. He is a 40 to $50. We're talking, this is the place that Chris goes to get his haircut. Okay? And he gives haircuts to homeless people. These are some of the examples. Look at this guy. This dude here, he must feel shame, you know, throughout the day. Hasn't shaved in a while. And look at how good he looks on the right. Dignity. This lady, the picture on the left is the after. The one on the right is the before. But, you know, she looks so much better on the left. And she has a, a sparkle in her eye on the left that is a little more dignified. This one is my favorite. That looks like James Harden with the beard, the beautiful beard. It's just manicured to the T. This dude, uh, he looks good. And finally, that's the hipster haircut. That's, that's where Joe goes. That's like Joe <laughs> Hameter right there. But these haircuts bring dignity to people so they can know for a couple of weeks what it feels like to live without that shame. This is interesting because, you know, if someone asks you for money, you're walking through, let's say you're down in Waikiki and some dude asks you for five bucks or for whatever and you give them five bucks and the guy's all stoked, he's like, oh my God, thank you. And you're like, if you go, oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. God bless you. Ah, that's a weird response. The, the correct response is, ah, no worries. Easy, I've been there, right? Because it gives that person dignity. And so... Sometimes, um, I'm so sorry, Peter was beaten down and he was ashamed about what he did and he was expecting the hammer from Jesus, right? But Jesus gives him a barbecue instead. He gives him a haircut instead. He says, ah, man, take off that wet coat. You could sit down by the fire, man. I made you a fire. In other words, Jesus says, it's all good. Here's some tilapia. Enjoy. You're not a sinner. You're my friend. And I know it's tilapia because we went to uh, Israel a couple years ago and they told us. <laughs> so how does, Pete, how does Jesus restore Peter's dignity? He did this in two ways. First, Jesus creates the atmosphere for restoration. Jesus creates a non-religious, non-judgmental place where Peter's guard comes down. Peter was expecting the cold confrontation. Peter was expecting the talk. 
Jesus gave him a bonfire. Here's the setting, think about it. It's a warm bonfire, right, on a cold morning. It's a beach, it's as tropical as the Sea of Galilee can be. There's beers there, they're just joking. There's no beers, it's, it's the morning time. There's fish, there's laughter, there's joy. It's Peter's home turf. Jesus came to him. Think about that. This was many days walk from Jerusalem where they last saw Jesus. Jesus, I don't know if he transported there or what, but these guys went back home and Jesus followed them to have the conversation there. So Jesus creates the atmosphere for restoration and healing. He leads with grace and blesses Peter. He cooks him some top-notch tilapia and lets him know we're all good. Sometimes people just need to be invited to a place or setting that's light, that's not religious, that's normal and warm so that they can open up and let their guard down. And a good example of this is our Ohana group. Some of us go to Ohana groups. How many here have, have are in an Ohana group right now. Let's see a show of hands. Great, if you're not in one, that's fine. But um, those of us that are in Ohana groups, you know, one of the things that we try and do at our Ohana group is employ this tactic, right? We try to make a non-religious atmosphere. And we do it by, um, we have wine aplenty at our group. I know you want to come to our group now, Eddie Sachs. <laughs> we have music in the background we eat we hang out we're just chilling for the first hour and what's the fruit of that people's guards are let down right um, I used to say, when I came to this Ohana group you know I was thinking man I am just gonna just I'm not gonna overshare I'm not gonna you know I'm gonna stay try to have some 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 dignity really I don't know but I find myself Week after week, especially at the beginning when we started our Ohana group, I would find myself crying and confessing all of my sins to everybody. It was horrible. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there, but what happened was they duped me because the atmosphere was so warm, the atmosphere was so inviting. The next thing I know, I was opening up. And I swear to you, I've seen almost every single person in our group break down and cry at one point. And Bethany cried almost every week for two years. <laughs> that's what Jesus was doing here. He was saying, hey man, it's all good. I'm not mad at you. And that's what we do at Ohana groups. I'm not going to cuss you out right here, Jesus says, in front of all these guys. I'm going to treat you with dignity. In fact, I'm going to honor you. And the second way Jesus restores Peter's dignity is this. He honors Peter publicly. Wow, Jesus restores Peter's dignity by asking him in front of all the other disciples, hey man, let's take a walk down the beach. Now you got to think about this. This is really interesting. What did that mean to Peter? When, he, when basically the risen Messiah, who you just know got crucified, my goodness, this might be God. I think this is God himself in human flesh says, hey, you know, out of everyone here, I know we're having a good time. Hey, Peter, let's go have a secret leadership discussion. And he walks down the beach. And Peter's like, what? Okay. And he goes. 
And we know that they had a secret discussion because Jesus, it says later in the text that John was following them. So John was right behind, you know, going, I'm a leader too, you know, man, hey, what about me? I'm the one that you love. But Peter was the leader. It was as if Jesus was saying, hey, you're still my guy, let's take a walk. It's kind of like this, if Bruce Springsteen came into this gym right now and said, Ben Fowler, let's go right outside, I just have something I want to share with you, and he did it in front of everybody, it would blow my mind. I would live off that glory for years. Years. And for those of you that have a hard time relating to the Bruce Springsteen example, if Justin Bieber, Joe, came into this gym right now and asked Joe Hameter, hey Joe, let's go outside and talk about fashion. Joe would live off of that glory for years because it means that much to him. So the question I have for us today is, Who's in your life right now that honors you publicly? Where can you go where people can speak into your life? Or who is that leader that still believes in you that says, hey man, I still think that you have some potential. Why don't you take a walk with me down the beach? You know, if you have these people in your life, count your blessings. Um, It's a gift from the Lord, but if you don't, Find them. It will be worth it. Um, Another thing about our Ohana groups, this is where I find this in my life a lot, is at our Ohana groups, we do something called the mush pot. So this is a tradition in almost every Blue Water Ohana group. The mush pot is, it's like a prayer circle. So at the end of the night, this is where most of us cry. At the end of the night, someone stands or sits in the middle of the circle and everyone prays for them. But what they do when they pray for them is they speak life into them, right? They speak destiny into them. They speak hope. They tell them, even sometimes people reinstate them. They bless them with, you are forgiven. This is your destiny. This is your assignment. Now where in the world are you gonna get this kind of uh, prayer? Where in the world do you find people telling you how God thinks of you? But in Ohana groups, you find it every single week in the mush pond. And this is crazy because sometimes I record mine and I'll be driving down the freeway months later and I'll play it. I know it's indulgent because everyone says everything good about you, right? It's, it's like a eulogy, but you're still alive. And then I play it and I'm driving I'm just like, oh my, I can't believe they think that of me. I can't believe God thinks that of me. This is crazy. And then it changes who I think I am, right? It removes the shame out of my life. It gives me back my dignity. So Jesus sets the atmosphere that helps Peter let his guard down. And he restores Peter's dignity before others by taking him on the side and taking a walk with him. So no more shame, I'm not mad at you. God still has a plan for Peter. The second point is this. Jesus restores Peter's relationship with himself. So Jesus asked three times, Peter, do you love me? And this is important to notice that he doesn't ask him when he takes him down the beach 
Why did you run? Where were you? How come you lied to me? Didn't you see I needed you? This is what he says. He says, do you love me? Not will you sacrifice or pay penance for what you just did. Jesus draws him back to the goal, which is always relationship, friendship, and love with him. And when all is said and done, it's all about our relationship with Jesus. Jesus wasn't mad at him. He missed him. Right? That's why worship is so important. A great example of how we recognize and come back to it's all about Jesus, it's all about relationship, is when we come to church on Sundays and we worship and we are reminded about God's love. So we sing about his love and grace and it reminds us of him. That's why this morning was so amazing when they sang that new song. uh, You walk with me through the fire. I was just... My hands were up. I I was really right there because it reminded me of who God is. And that's what it's all about. It's not about what we didn't do or what we did do. It's about who God is and that he loves us. Here's a quick story about how worship changed my life and reminded me of this. When I was 18 years old, I just got saved. I was not a Christian growing up. I just got saved. And like you could tell by my Bruce Springsteen example, I was into rock and roll. So this church had this amazing night service and they met in Hawaii Kai at a cafeteria. And I remember showing up at this night service. This was in 1997. And the music was phenomenal. These guys, I couldn't believe these Christians could rock, right? Here it was in my hometown, a rocking a rock band, but they were singing worship songs. And I go in, I had no idea who Jesus was, and they started singing Shout to the Lord. You guys know Shout to the Lord, right? Well, if you don't know, Shout to the Lord was a Christian song that they sang that week, and I, I basically started crying and weeping because of Shout to the Lord. I would later go on to know that they would sing Shout to the Lord every week for the next 20 years. <laughs> And I would eventually learn the sign language to it and go on mission trips. And this is what we do. We did in the 90s and early 2000s. We did shout to the Lord. But at that time, it changed my life. And that's what worship does. Worship changes your life because it reminds you what the point of it all is. The point of it all is relationship with Jesus. It's not anything else. So Jesus restores Peter's relationship with himself and he reminds him that it's all about relationship. And if you've been running on fumes or tired of working to pay off your guilt, and God wants to free you this morning, he's not asking you, why did you do this or why did you run? He's simply asking you, do you love me? Will you love me? Will you let me love you? And imagine right now, he's asking you this question. Do you love me? Point three. Jesus restores Peter's position and assignment. Jesus says three times, do you love me? Then he says, feed my sheep, 
tend my lambs, feed my lambs. In other words, Peter, you are still the leader. I still entrust them to you. Now get back to work. Jesus reminds him of what he said to him before. This is what Jesus once had a conversation with all the apostles. And he says, hey, who do, who's everyone saying that I am, right? And all the apostles said, man, some are saying you're John the Baptist. Some are saying you're Elijah. And then Peter goes, aha, you are the son of God. You're the Messiah. And Peter goes, ah, this was revealed to you. He didn't say, ah, he's not a pirate. He's the Messiah. He says, you're right. This wasn't your own idea. This came from the Father. And he says, your name is Peter. I'm going to call you Peter the Rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. So Peter, from that point on, was like, oh my gosh. I think I'm the leader of this thing. So what happened is, Jesus did a mush pot on Peter. Right? On the beach. He spoke it to him. Now feed my lambs feed my sheep, tend my sheep. You're still the leader. That's still your job. Here's an example of um, <clears throat> finding your position. This is something that uh, a lot of us find hard to do, um, is to find our position in the kingdom or in the church. I know many people, even in this church right now, you might be sitting there and you're saying, I want to be used by God, but I still haven't found my niche. You know, I can't preach, I can't sing, I can't, you know, I don't know where I fit in this thing. Um, but I can say, when you find your niche, it's going to be great. It's, it's a great thing to find your niche in the kingdom, and there's nothing like being used by God. And here's an example of some people that found their niche um, in the kingdom. I used to work at this church called New Hope, and New Hope, uh, this was in Diamond Head, and New Hope and a bunch of churches in the 90s had this massive explosion of growth. There was this, it was the, we were the only state in America that our, that the church was beating the birth rate. So there was a huge revival, and churches started popping up out of nowhere. One of the churches was this New Hope Diamond Head church. And there were so many people, they started making these uh, outside overflow tents to keep up with the growth. Well, I didn't know this when I signed on to work there because they assigned me the setup duty. So there I go. I'm like, okay, it couldn't be that much, you know, setting up this thing. You got to set up on Sunday morning. I, I set up for years. Don't worry about that. So I show up on Sunday morning. They're like, you got to be there at four o'clock in the morning. I said, what time does church start? They're like, nine. I was like, the math doesn't add up. <laughs> so I show up, and here's the situation. We gotta set up, we gotta set up six gigantic wedding tents. This thing is like, I'm talking a 40 by 40. You know those white ones that look like a circus? A 40 by 40, and then five other 20 by 20s, and there's people doing food, there's chairs, there's outside speakers, there's, you know, staging. I was shocked. So I show up there as the new guy, and right at, sure enough, 
all the guys started coming around. There's like 20 dudes standing around in a circle in the dark, and it was cold, like 75 degrees. <laughs> so I'm freezing, standing in a circle, we're all there sacrificing. And I remember we'd be, we have this huge tents to set up, and before we start, we open up in prayer. And I gotta tell you guys, I like, often we'd be crying and weeping in a circle before we even started setting up. And I get weepy-eyed now because the camaraderie was so thick because we came there to serve together that by the time, we would just, we'd cry for about 10 seconds and then we'd pray and then we'd set up all this stuff for three hours. And then this is what was interesting. You know, these guys, you couldn't tell them not to come and help. You could say, hey man, you better take a week off. They're like, I don't want to take a week off. They loved it. This was their family. They found their niche, right? And people would often come up to me after the service and they would say stuff like, you know, uh, I said, how was it? They said, eh, I didn't like the sermon. You know, and I'd be like, mm, yeah. They go, yeah. I was like, how was it? They go, oh, you know, the worship was just so-so. And I was thinking, man, I wish you would have come to help set up because it was on fire. <laughs> so church is fun. Church is amazing. Church is really helpful. And the Spirit of God comes. But there's nothing like finding God's purpose for you because the Spirit of God comes in a different way. And many of you guys can attest to that. So setting up at New Hope was a great experience because it showed me that you can find your niche, whether you're setting up chairs or whether you're, you know, making food for all the people. Here at Blue Water, this is one of the special things that this church owns. Our motto is try, right? So here's some examples of things that we can all do. If you haven't found your niche yet, here is what you can do. You can try to lead worship or you can try to join the worship team. Um, you can try leading an Ohana group. You could try going to an Ohana group. You could try making coffee because they ha actually have a need for coffee and Johanna's like going, yeah. So this morning, if you're looking for something to do, talk to Johanna after service and she can put you to work. Try believing God is here, not angry at you. Try teaching children. Try coming to Nana's birthday bash, meeting people. Try volunteering in Waikiki with the Red Light Angels. Try generously funding this church if you have a ton of money. Try teaching beginner's class. Try going to beginner's class. We all have a position in God's kingdom and it'll, it'll take time for you to find it, but when you find it, you will find your place. And just like Jordan always says, in your purpose lies your power and there's nothing like being used by God. To close, I want to tell a personal story. This is about me finding my purpose and like Peter, finding myself in need of a comeback. So I grew up in a non-Christian home, found the Lord right before my senior year in high school. I started out in the youth group and decided to be a missionary. And I was a missionary for one year. I came back home and began leading worship at that same youth group that I got saved in. Then I became the youth group leader. Then I led worship at the church. And then, after 10 years, they made me the worship pastor. Then I went to seminary. 
Then I worked at a church when I was up at seminary. I came back to work at that place where they put me to work setting up all those tents. And this was all good news and shocking to me because God was using me. I had found my place. But along the way, like Peter, I lost my edge. I made decisions I should have made. I was running on fumes. In certain instances, I ran from the Lord when I should have been running to Him. To make a long story short, I was asked to resign at the last church I was pastoring. It wasn't for any sin, it wasn't for any one thing that I did, but they asked me to go. I was murmuring about the 4 a.m. wake-up call, but... It could even be said that it was even unfair on their part, and it was. But the greater truth was, I should have known better. I should have treated my purpose and calling with the respect it deserved. I should have honored it. But in the end, I took full responsibility. My whole life was going towards this goal, and it was derailed. My reputation now had a check mark, and there was little I can do. After all was said and done, like Peter, I was wondering, how would Jesus react? I felt I let him down. My perfect record was now in shambles and full display of everybody. We think the church is full of perfect people, perfect leaders. Everyone's good looking and showers every day. But we all know this is not true. God uses sinners just like us, and he has a plan to restore us when we're down. Then... I found Blue Water Mission, and God began the process of restoration. So I started back at the beginning. The beginning for me was at the end of the sermon, I remember I went to the prayer line and talked to Jason Koike, Mr. Miyagi, and he prayed for me. Then I joined an Ohana group, and I remember crying at that Ohana group, saying things I swore I would never say, which is the truth. Then I got busy and started serving again. I joined the worship team. And now, though still in process, I'm being restored. And these have been some of the most fruitful years of my life. And when Jesus asked me today, Ben, do you love me? I can still say like Peter, Lord, you know I love you. And then God, I found, still says this, then feed my sheep, tend my lambs, and get back to work. And this morning, here's what God wants to do for all of us. God wants to restore your dignity. You know, will you allow God to give it back to you this morning? Maybe you're carrying the shame from your life. Maybe you're living in sin this morning. God's asking you, will you let me give you back your dignity? Will you take your cloak off? Will you come to me? Next. God wants to restore your relationship with himself. Maybe you've been distant this morning. Maybe, maybe you've been distant for years. Maybe you think you're not good enough or you just need to come back to the heart of the matter. Um, this morning, will you let God do that for you? And finally, God wants to restore you back to purpose because you have a job to do. In your purpose lies your power. And if you want to discover your potential in the Lord, keep trying. Well, after that encounter with Jesus on the beach, talk about a comeback.
Peter never looked back. His first sermon started a revival in Jerusalem that spread to the whole world. He became known as the leader of the apostles and performed many miracles in the name of Jesus. He wrote at least three books in the New Testament, and finally he gave his life and died a martyr as he proclaimed the good news that Jesus had rose from the dead, that he'd seen him face to face, and that the kingdom of God had come. God doesn't just restore parts of our lives either, your relationship with him. God restores your whole life. God wants to start with him, and then he wants to kind of filter out through our whole lives. And all of us are still imperfect. All of us still need help. All of us are still in process. But this morning, we have a God who wants to restore us. Amen? All right. Well, why don't we all bow our heads in prayer? Today's a special day. We're going to be taking communion. And we can use this opportunity to to respond to what God's placed on your heart. Will you pray with me before we do that? Father, thank you so much that you are the God of the comeback. Thank you that you care about our dignity. You care about how we feel when we're in front of others and how we feel when we're in front of you. This morning, we pray that you would inspire us to come to you, the God of grace, take a step towards you, find our purpose, and try it once again. If anyone's been distant, if anyone doesn't even know you, we pray, God, that this church would be a safe place, the beginning of something beautiful, the beginning of a godly and miraculous comeback. Lord, we invite you this morning, and we thank you for your word that gives us life. We thank you so much for your presence here. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.